Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. You can have a seat. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, kids, for your awesome example of worship this morning. Praise God. That was awesome. Well, if you came to church grumpy, you're not. Too bad. Uh, It's hard to be uh, in a bad mood after that. Thanks to our kids for leading us in worship. They're headed off to have a great time at Hope Kids. What you may not know if you're new to our community is that we're trying something new this year. And a couple times a month, the kids start in here. And they worship with us a few times a month. They go and they kind of, they do their own thing. And one of the reasons that we do that, kids can't be who they can't see. And a couple weeks ago, I saw a mom that was worshiping her heart out and jumping up and down during worship. And I looked behind her and there was four kids doing the exact same thing. You can't be what you can't see, amen? And these kids, you're, as you're looking at them, they're looking at you every single week, and it doesn't matter what age they are, zero all the way up to 18, doesn't matter. They are looking at you for an example of what it looks like to passionately worship Jesus. They are looking at you and as an example to say, what does it look like to be on fire for Jesus when I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old? What does it look like to worship? And they are watching us, and what an incredible opportunity that we have. We love kids. And so if you're new uh, this morning, we want to welcome you here again and say it's no accident that you're here. And we've been praying for you. And for the hundreds worshiping with us online, again, a special welcome to you. And kids, online in your living rooms, we felt your joy through the camera dancing along as well. So thank you for helping out this morning, boys and girls, as well. Whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here, a lot of times one of the questions that gets asked when you're a, a newer church, which we still are, as you heard earlier in the service, we're, we're a toddler as a church. We're 11 months old, and we're still finding our way a little bit. And so people might be asking the question, what, what are you all about as a church? And clearly, we've made a statement, we, we love kids, <laughs> because Jesus loved kids, because he was all about kids. He lifted them up as the example of what it means to have a faith and what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. We love kids, but we also love serving. We love being servant leaders. We love living into that calling from God. Absolutely. You can clap anytime you want to this church, by the way. Praise God. So we've been, we're in the middle of this sermon series called Say What? Everybody say, say what? Oh, say it like you mean it. Say, say what? And we're looking at making sense of some of Jesus's most shocking statements. There's a couple ways to read the Bible. There's a way to kind of cherry pick it and pick and choose the ones that I feel comfortable with, the ones that align with my worldview or social statement or political view. I'm just going to read that. Or you can just take Jesus at his word and know that sometimes when we read the Bible, you're going to get convicted. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you're going to get challenged. And sometimes Jesus says things that don't make a lot of sense or maybe rub us the wrong way. And today we're going to have exactly that as we heard in our passage. Jesus is going to make some shocking statements about leadership, what it means to have 
influence and impact in the world around us. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're one of those weird churches that actually encourages you to bring your Bible. If you're old school like me and you've got the physical Bible, that's fine. Or everybody, I know you all have your phones, so take out your phones. And if you don't have your Bible, download the YouVersion Bible app. And then everywhere you go, you've got God's word in your pocket. So we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 20, and I know there was a season in my life where I didn't know one book of the Bible from the next. And I remember how intimidating it was when the guy up front said, everybody turn to Matthew chapter 20, and you're sitting there going, I hope anybody doesn't know that I have no idea where Matthew is, right? There is no shame. It's called the table of contents, baby, and you can use that. And you know what? We're all friends here, and nobody's going to guilt you or shame you or judge you. Just elbow the person next to you and say, where in the world is Matthew? Can you help me? And then they'll help you, all right? We're all friends here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And if you haven't dug into the Bible in a while, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. So to set the table for you, Jesus' disciples have been following him for a while now. They've been watching Jesus. And a couple of those disciples are James and John. And they are known, they have the best nickname ever. They're the Sons of Thunder. Uh, I wish that was my nickname. Love to be a son of thunder. But uh, their mom, James and John's mom, comes in. And sometimes, you know, when your mom does something, like with a leader or a teacher or a coach or something, and you're like, oh, mom. Okay? This is one of those, oh, mom sort of moments. Okay? We've all been there. We've all experienced that. James and John's mom goes to Jesus and says, you know, my boys are pretty special. So, Jesus, do you think that one day when you're in heaven that they could sort of sit at your right and your left hand. Well, the rest of the disciples catch wind of this, and they are not very happy either. And we read this, that Jesus sort of, well, he calls everybody over. He says, time out. Like, all the disciples are arguing about, you know, who's in and who's out and who's the most important and who's the greatest. And so they're all jockeying for that position. Well, Jesus calls everybody over and he says, you know that the rulers of the world lord it over their people. This is the way that the world sees leadership and power and influence. Don't be like that. And officials, they flaunt their authority over them. And then he says this in verse 26. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read this nice and loud together. Wherever you are, whether you're online or in the room, let's read it together. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So essentially the disciples are all jockeying for position and they essentially their heartbeat is very similar to every single one of ours. I want to do something great. I want my life to matter. I, I, I want to do something of significance. And they thought that maybe to do that that they had to climb the ladder. That they had to sit at Jesus' right and left hand and, and, and be put up on some pedestal. <laughs> Instead, Jesus says, do you want to live a life that matters? Do you truly want to live a life that's going to matter when you're gone? Serve. No, Jesus, I mean like really, like how do I do that? You know, like I'm going to latch onto your coattail. No, 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 no. Serve. Serve which couldn't run more countercultural to the messages of the world that are sent to us every single day. Do what seems best for you. Look to your own interests first, right? Isn't Burger King have it your way or something like that? I mean, that, nothing against Burger King, but that sums up the world that you and I live in. Do what seems best to you. Consume, get more stuff, and that'll pave the way to happiness. Jesus says the exact opposite later on. He actually says, if, you're, if you want to find your life, You'll actually lose it 
as you give it away in service to others. Not by saying what's in it for me, but how can I serve others? And to say, ah, John, you know, that's not my thing. I'm more of like a worship and word. I'm kind of a worship and Bible study kind of Christian. And yet we're followers of Jesus, who is the chief servant of all, who says right here in his word, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. There is no other kind of Christian than to be a servant leader. Amen? There is no other kind. That's who we are. Okay? Praise God. So as followers of Jesus, serving isn't just something that we do. It's who we are. It's our identity. And so that's the posture that we not only we take as individuals, but as a city, as we look to the needs of the city and the neighborhood around us as well. And so as pastors and I have talked to a lot of people, a lot of the questions that we get asked as a newer church, what are you all about? Well, we love kids. We love Jesus. We love kids. And the other thing that we love <laughs> is this city. But a lot of people ask, okay, you're, you're, you're a multi-site church, you're in this network, and, and a lot of the other Hope campuses that are here in the, the metro area or around the state are in suburban areas, and that's awesome. And there's something unique about what God is doing here at Hope Elam. And so what does it look like to be an urban church? What does it look like to be a church in the city? And I know people come from all over, and, and we love that. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters who God says you are. And when you're here... You are his son or his daughter. So what does it look like to be a church that's effectively engaging the city? Well, you might think, well, that's pretty simple. It's not. There's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Some people might just say, well, let's, let's be in the city. That's great. And, and it usually ends there. There's some churches, that, and, and the danger is we could fall into this ditch too. Great. We're at 25th and University. We are in the city. Oh, yeah. And we'll just sit back and let everybody come to us, right? We got breakfast. Come for sausage and bacon, right? It's going to be great. But that doesn't happen because it doesn't mean anything for the people that are out there. It might be really great. We might be geographically in the city, but we're having no influence outside these four walls. So that can't be. That doesn't fall in line with, with God's heart. And some people will say, oh, I know what it is. We live in this dark, broken, evil world, and so let's just hunker down. I mean, I'm here, and the worship is great, and the preaching's okay, and, and I can get connected with the ministry here, and I got my coffee, breakfast is coming, it's going to be great, and I don't want anything to do with those people out there. And we develop this us and them mentality, and if we're not careful, we can be a church that's against the city, and we spend a lot more time about what we're against than what we're for. And we spend a lot more time with that finger of judgment out at everybody else, instead of pointing back at us and saying, maybe we're the ones that need to change. Maybe we're the ones that need to look inside and say, are we effectively reaching out? I don't want to be a holy huddle. Okay, John, I don't want to do that. We're not against the, the, the dark, evil city out there. So what we do is that we swing the exact opposite. And we become a church of the city. And we're like, oh, man, what the church really needs is to be cool. Oh, yeah, we want to be really, really hip. So we're just going to, I mean, that went out the window a long time ago. I mean, look at us. But we're trying, okay? We're just, we just got to be me. Just got to be us. But some people think that's what we need to do to be relevant. I want to be really relevant. So whatever the world says, let's just go with what they're doing and use their marketing and their tactics and do whatever. And it's not that we can't learn from that, but there's nothing more relevant than the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we don't want to, we don't want to swing in that direction. And instead of being against, we just blend in with everybody else. That's where Israel got it wrong. Is time and time again, God said, this is who you are. You're the light of the world. 
And yet where they lost it every single time is they looked at the nations around them and said, well, let's just be like them. And they lost the uniqueness of who they were called to be. Don't forget who you are. And so none of those, the problem with any of these approaches to being a church in the city is that none of them are biblical. They seem really great, and it's easy to fall into that, but none of them are biblical. None of them are in line with a church that is full of servant leaders. So how might that be different? What, what if there was a different approach? If you have your Bibles, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to go to the Old Testament just for a moment, to Jeremiah chapter 29. Not the place you thought I was going to go, but that's where we're going, okay? A lot of you know Jeremiah 11, 29, 11, but we're going to go a few verses before that. Jeremiah 29, we're going to start in verse 4. And when we arrive on the scene, God's people, Israel, are in captivity. They are in uh, exile. They're in Babylon. They've been captured by the Babylonian Empire. They've been removed from their home country. They're in a completely unideal situation. And they have just moved into a new city. It's a new group of people. Not everybody knows each other. They've come into a city. It's broken. It's messy. Things are hard. They're struggling. And they're in a brand new location. Not relevant for us at all. I know. And here in the middle of their mess, in this unideal situation, God speaks to remind them of who they are. Look at chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Just hunker down and be a holy huddle. Nope, he doesn't say that. Verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and five wives for your sons and daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then let's read this together. Verse 7, nice and loud, wherever you are. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I don't know about you. If I'm honest, I like to put myself in their shoes. If I'm a member of the Jewish nation, if I'm Israel, I'm going, yeah, that's a great idea, God. <laughs> Have you ever heard this one before? This isn't really a good season for me right now. You have no idea. I've been ripped away from my home. I don't even know where the rest of my family is. This isn't a very good season. I can't really put my roots down right now. I got a lot going on, and this is very, very unideal. And God says, I know. And so right in the middle of your unideal circumstances, I want to remind you of who you are. It turns out the mindset a lot of us have in 2021 is the same mindset that you can have in Babylon. And God wants to remind you of this this morning to them and to us now. Never let your circumstances dictate your identity. Never let your circumstances, go ahead and go to the next slide, dictate your identity. Because whether you feel like you're in Babylon then or you're in Babylon now, you're in completely unideal circumstances. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here. God says, don't forget who you are. Instead of waiting for perfect circumstances, God says to them and to us now, I want you to pour into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there the rest of your life. I know, we, li we live in a FOMO culture, fear of missing out, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the grass is always greener on the other side. And I get that, God says. But I want to remind you of who you are. Your circumstances don't get to tell you who you are. This is who you are, and I want to remind you of that. I don't know why this came to mind, but as, as a kind of a silly example, we try to discipline our kids once in a while. 
Uh, and sometimes pastor's kids, you got to look out for them, you know. And sometimes as an imperfect dad, I lose my temper or I'll yell at them or something emotionally is going on in me and I take it out on them. And sometimes I just yell at them. But in my better moments, what I have learned is that I will look at them and I will say, Caleb or Evie, whether it's pushing or hitting or shoving or yelling or being rude or whatever it is, and I will look at them and I'll say, Caleb, that's not who you are. You are not a mean, angry boy. You are a mighty man of God that has been given self-control because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Don't hit your sister because that's not who you are. There's no guilt. There's no shame. It's identity. And God could have done that for his people. He could have said, stop messing around with everybody else. Get back to who you are. But instead he comes to them and he reminds them of their identity. Don't be a church in the city. Don't be a a, a church against the city or of the city. What would it look like for us at Hope Elam to be a church for the city? A church that is committed to the spiritual and social well-being of the city around us. A church that's known for more for what we're for than what we are against. What would it look like, Hopium, that when the chatters out there, they're having the elevator conversations at work or on the street or on the chat rooms online, and people say, oh, yeah, Hope Elam, I've heard of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, aren't they that big, like, brick building on the corner of 25th? And yeah, yeah, I've driven by there a lot. What if that was it? What a shame. Oh, oh, no, 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 Hope Elam, there's the ones that, like, they're trying to mix, like, black and brown and white and people all together and trying to do that. Yep, that's a part of it, but that's not all of it. Oh, Hope Elam, they're the ones that are, like, giving out all that free food and, and you know, feeding thousands of people every month. And all. That's great, but that's a part of it. Our deepest desire, if we are going to be a church that makes an impact in this city, is that we're not going to blend in with everybody around us or point the finger of judgment. Romans 12, 2, if I've got any Bible readers in the house, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our call as a church to be a church that's for the city is to be an agent of transformation, to be for them, to be for the people that God loves. That's why we're a church for the city, because God is for every single person in this city, whether they go to church or not no matter what they believe, no matter who they are. And so that's what we're called to do beyond any of those statements. Wouldn't it be awesome? Oh, Hope Elam. Man, they love Jesus. Man, they're not perfect at all. Especially those pastors, they're weird. But man, they love Jesus. And because they love Jesus, they are agents of racial reconciliation. Because they love Jesus, they worship passionately. Because they love Jesus, they're welcoming in refugees and doing ESL and citizenship classes. Because they love Jesus, they're feeding the neighborhoods around them. And the list goes on and on and on. That's what it means to be a church that is for the city. I remember a long time ago when we were first starting the church and I had this conversation again with one of my mentors just about a year ago because I was telling him about what was going on and, and the kind of church we were trying to be as Hope Elam. And he asked me this question. He said, John, someday that church is going to grow and big and you're going to have yourself a big old auditorium and lots of people in a big old church building. And I don't want you to forget this question. If your church were to leave tomorrow, if your church was to just poof, vanish, Would anybody outside those walls care? 
What if that was our definition of success? What if it wasn't about how many butts are in the seats? What if it was about how many people are being sent into these neighborhoods? As disciples, as missionaries, as servant leaders under the name of Jesus Christ into this city. And he particularly said, would they, would they miss you? Would, would, would they care? Or is your church just become, are you going to become a holy huddle where it's all about getting your needs met and your preferences and your opinions? Or are we a church that's outwardly facing to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ? Would they miss you? And he said, would they weep? What if that was our definition of success? Of how we love Not whether I like it all the time. Not whether I get all of my needs met. Not whether it's a perfect church that has every program under the sun. But would they weep? Because here, my kids, they were able to get a quality, affordable, professional Christian education. Because I came and I had a place to belong and and a place where I was accepted. There was a place that brought me in that loved me. Because no neighborhood around our church was in need of food. Because they brought in different organizations and worked together for the heart of the city. Because we love Jesus, we bought this big, huge building to give it away. To give it away to other organizations and nonprofits so that we could work together as a city. Would they miss us? God, I pray so. I pray that that is our definition of success moving forward. So what does that look like in very practical terms? What does it look like to be a church that's for the city? Number one, we have that kingdom mindset. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the what? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the what? The kingdom, not Hope Elam. Not Lutheran Church of Hope. Not Hope Elam. Not us. It's not about us. Seek first the kingdom. And in order to grow the kingdom, that's going to require a lot of different churches, particularly here in the city of Des Moines. And so we are, we are partnering with them. We are on the same team. It's going to take a lot of different churches to make an impact, which means that every other church in this city that preaches the name of Jesus Christ is our friend and our allies and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we pray for them. And that goes for a variety of different denominations. Some of us are going to be in for a rude awakening if you're like, that's my thing. And trust me, I'm a third-generation Lutheran pastor. It's deep in my blood. But I've also read my Bible. And I also know that someday we're going to get to heaven and some of us are going to walk in and go, excuse me, uh, whoever the person is at the door, where's the Lutheran section? Where's the Baptist section? Where's the Pentecostal section? Where's the, where's the Catholic section? Oh, wait, there isn't one. And there isn't a black section or a brown section or a white section because Jesus is coming back for one church, one church that is united in his name. We're called to be a church that is for the city. And so this past week, as we do on a regular basis, we gather together with other pastors and church leaders from a variety of denominations here in the city, and we just prayed for each other. It's been a hard year. And so we prayed for them and we lift them up and say, how can we support and encourage you? We've got some exciting things planned with the other churches that are in the Drake neighborhood. I can't wait for this year ahead. It's going to be great. So we have a kingdom mindset. And secondly, we partner instead of compete. Lutheran Church of Hope as a whole, all of our campuses has over 40 mission partners. And our job is to be a church and support them and let them be who God created them to be. And so if there's a mission or a project or an endeavor, we say, who's already doing that? And let's come along and, and let's support them financially and with people. And, let's come, and we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel. And in fact, there are several that are right here in our building. And all of them, a dozen or so of them, are out in the lobby today. You saw them as you walked in. And afterwards today, whenever the pastor gets done being long-winded, you can go out there and you can talk to them and encourage them. 
and pray for them and ask how you can come alongside and serve. We are on the same team together. You have that opportunity. Sometimes we pray for opportunities, and then sometimes the opportunities are in the lobby, right on your way out. And we say, I, I, I'm here to serve. And so you might say, John, what, what, what can I do? What does it look like for me to get involved? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us the blueprint for this, not just in what he says, but in the way that he lived his life. And there's three words I want you to take home with you today. If you're keeping score at home, you want to write, write these down, let's write them down together. But everybody say go. Everybody say go. Everybody say stay. I know, not as exciting. Say stay. And last but not least, everybody say love. Go, stay, and love. Let's take those one at a time. In order to reach the people that Jesus wanted to reach, he had to go. And as Jesus resurrects and come back, tells his followers, go ahead and go to the next slide, he says this incredible statement. Let's read it together. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. From the minute that this maybe was the first time that you could say the church was the church post-resurrection and Jesus sends them on a mission. If you're a member of a local church, you don't belong to an institution, you belong to a mission. And that train has left the station and you can decide whether to get on board or not, but that's where we're headed as a church. You are on a mission. And if we're going to be a church that's for the city, if we're servants, if we have a missional mindset, if we think like missionaries, the primary question that a missionary that's trying to reach people is asking is not what are my preferences and my opinions. The primary question of a group of missionaries is, God, to whom or where are you sending me? We're constantly asking that question. It's not I'm here so I'm good. It's, God, where are you sending me? Where are, where are you launching me into mission? Now, this might be one of the strangest things I've ever drug out of the prop room, but it'll make the point for a second. If some of you are wondering, is that a trampoline on the stage? Well, yes, yes, it is. And it's a trampoline right out of the Annenson backyard, straight out of 1987. So there it is. And it's held together all these years, so I'm trusting it's going to hold me up today. A couple weeks ago, uh, this, our kids normally jump on this, and for the first five, six years of their life, they did what you do on a trampoline. You get on it, and you jump. And you bounce. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, that got boring. So a couple weeks ago, I walked out, and they had it in front of the basketball hoop. About, about five, four or five feet in front of the basketball hoop, and I hear banging and crashing, and I'm in the kitchen, and I come out, and they have got this thing set up. And my son is running and jumping and launching himself at the basketball hoop. He's like, Dad, I almost dunked it. It was awesome. And I'm like, that's great. This is really cool. You guys do know, like, this is a trampoline. And a lot of people, what they do on a trampoline is they jump like up and down, and then with every ounce of the eight-year-old boyness that is inside him, he goes, yeah, Dad, I know, but it's so much cooler when you get launched into midair. <laughs> okay, as they just continue to launch themselves, and they miss and hit the pole or the garage or whatever, and I think, okay, that's goofy, or out of the mouths of babes, they speak wisdom to us, because some of us will go our entire adult Christian lives jumping on the trampoline and week after week and year after year we'll go through the motions and we'll sing the songs and we'll pray the prayers and we'll go to the bible studies and never get launched 
The point of a trampoline is for you to be sent, is to be launched. That's where the joy is found. What if Sunday morning, the point of all of this was not to come and consume. The point of Sunday morning is I'm not going to think of walking out those doors on any weekend unless I know where I am being sent. The point of singing that song, the point of those Holy Spirit goosebumps, the point of going to your small group, the point of praying those prayers is to have our heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for, to get on the trampoline called church and let it send you into mission. Amen? That's what it means to be the church. Don't miss it. Don't miss the point of what we've been called to do, to launch you into a life of service. Here's the thing. That was really, really exciting. Everybody wants to go. Oh, I love missions work. I love serving. Everybody say go. Everybody say stay. Oh, that's not quite as exciting. Stay. Here's the thing. Can we just be honest? We're all like, we don't like long-term commitments, right? We, we really, really like to have an out, right? Whether it's a, I don't know, an internet contract, gym, gym club membership, sometimes, unfortunately, relationships. Yeah, that's not working for me. That's not meeting my needs. Can, can I have an out? Because what if something better comes up? What, what, what if it's hard? What if it's difficult? And yet, as I look at not just what Jesus said, but the way that he lived, mission requires commitment. And when I read the Gospels, I am always just convicted that the first 30 years of Jesus' life were spent in relative obscurity. Nobody knew who he was, just an ordinary guy. He was a carpenter. It wasn't flashy, it was slow, it was messy, and he was patient in loving people. And sometimes I think that if we're not careful, we have those moments, we pray these prayers, and people come to our church and they say, John, I want to live a life of significance. I want to serve. I want to get my hands dirty in something, and I, and I want to make an impact, and, and here I am. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be launched into service for the kingdom of God. And then God sends all these opportunities at us. Some of them are in the lobby today. And they're hard. I don't, I don't want to do that one. It's inconvenient. No, I don't want to do that one. Oh, I have to like rearrange my schedule? No. no. And pretty soon we're like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'll just come and sit in the back and go through the motions because I know that if Jesus gets a hold of me and I get on that thing, he's going to launch me into something. It's going to mess with me. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be inconvenient and it's going to be messy. And sometimes I think that divine opportunities that have come to us, we've just missed because we've written them off as hard. And if God's in it, shouldn't it be easy? Ask Jesus. He just gave himself away. All the time. And we think, oh, I served, but it didn't give me those warm fuzzies, so God must not be in it. Actually, the exact opposite. Sacrifice, commitment. A few weeks ago, somebody came up to me, a lady came up to me and this new to the church, and she, she said, Pastor John, what do you guys do for outreach? Like, what do, you, what do you do around here? I said, well, we have our, you know, our drives we do once in a while. We do a big Super Bowl, you know, fill all the pantries in central Iowa. We do a back-to-school drive, and all of that's great. But I said, the main thing, the main thing, don't miss it, what I'm really excited about is this thing we do called Community Night, and we just have everybody come in on Wednesday nights, and you can have a hot meal, and we just all sit at tables together. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, city, suburb, black, brown, white, Republican, Democrat, you just come and sit down and we just eat together. And she goes, 
no, really, like, what do you do for outreach? Like, what's your big thing? And I said, that. Like, what's your big outreach? That. We sit with each other, and we develop these relationships one person at a time. Last week, I was running around here like crazy, all the things going on Wednesday night. I had two minutes to get on this stage to leave worship, and I was running out of the commons, and I noticed that this lady was sitting by herself during the meal. She just looked kind of down, and every ounce inside of me was like, I gotta go. I don't have time for this. Uh, I'm a pastor. I should probably stop. Okay. That's in my flesh. You all had those moments. Don't, don't, don't kid. And I slow down. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just goes, and you're up. (laughs) I know you don't want to do it. I know you're busy. You're probably going to be late. People are going to wonder where the pastor's at. The pastor's right here. And I put my hands on the table and I just said, I am so glad that you are here tonight. (laughs) I didn't say anything other than that. Seriously, I'm not that good at conversation. I'm an introvert. And she just starts to weep. And she said, I've never been here before. It's my first time to your church. I saw the sign that there was a meal. I I I don't have my kids tonight, and so I thought maybe I could just have a meal in peace. And I came here. It's been a really hard last month. I've been going through a lot. I'm a single mom. And I just maybe thought somebody could pray for me. What are we doing as a church if that's not the most important thing? Amen? What are we doing? Because none of this matters. I, it doesn't matter how many people are in here, how the big the building is, or how many programs, if we can't stop and care about the one. It's the one that matters. One person, one relationship at a time. Do you want to change the world? Do you want to do something great for God? Sit with somebody alone at community night. Do you want to do something great for God? Go read for a half an hour once a week to a child at Joshua Christian Academy. Sometimes it's just right in front of us. I love how Paul says this to the church that he planted in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, We loved you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our lives as well. We loved you enough to stay. To not duck in and duck out and do some service projects or do some mission. And that felt good for me, so it was a success. It doesn't necessarily matter how it makes you feel or me feel. That's just the cherry on top. What matters is that person feel loved. Does every single person that walk in those doors know that they are a valuable child of God? Regardless of what they did the night before. That's what matters. Those are the definitions of success. And so we go and we stay. And last but not least, but most importantly, we love. Everybody say love. love. We, we use that word all the time. We say, I love tacos. I love the Hawkeyes. <laughs> I just, I didn't get it in there at 9. I had to sneak it in at 11. <laughs> Gosh, it's good to be a Hawkeye today. I'll just end it there. Okay. <laughs> just hang with me. And we say, I love my wife. I love my best friends. And sometimes we get confused about what love means. So I thought, if we're going to be a church that loves the city, we should figure out what it means to love. And so I went to the experts, six through nine-year-old kids. And so there are some people that did a survey, and they asked kids this question, what is your advice on love and marriage? 
And so kids submitted their answers, and I wanted to share some of this with you today. Please, please take notes at this time. <laughs> this is from Tim, age 7, advice on love and marriage. Spend most of your time loving instead of going to work. Hmm, there's a novel thought. <laughs> this is from Ricky, age 6. Tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. Advice on love and marriage. This is from Aaron, age eight. Don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. <laughs> this is from Anthony, age seven. Be a really good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. <laughs> Advice on love and marriage. This is from May, age nine. No one is sure why this happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. This is from Tom, age five, a young one. Once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to go find me a wife. That's all he had to say. <laughs> and last but not least, here's Anna, age eight. When somebody's been dating for a while, the boy might propose to the girl. And if he doesn't, the girl usually says, hey, punk, what's the deal? <laughs> it's pretty standard. It's been my experience. I asked that a few times. And as funny as that is, I think Anna's on to something. Because at some point, love has to move to action. Love is a verb. Amen? Amen? Love is a verb. And Jesus knew that. And he knew that the disciples and us 2,000 years later would just miss it sometimes. And we would think that success as a church is all these other things. And so on the night that he was betrayed... Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and put some water in a basin and one by one called his disciples over. And the God of the universe got down on his hands and feet and his knees. And one by one, he washed the dirt and the grime off of their feet, a task that was designated for, get this, the lowest of servants, the slaves. And then he said, now that you've seen me do this, I don't, I don't know how much more clear you can make it. This is Christianity. This is what it means to be a church. He says, go and do likewise. Later on in John chapter 15, now that I have loved you like this, this is how you must love one another. Jesus makes this definitive statement. If you ever, ever get too high and, 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 and haughty on yourself, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. It's got to be more than that. And he demonstrates that for us. He says, this is how you are to love one another. That image is the image. What if when people heard Hope Elam? Yeah, they got a big church. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, they give away a lot of stuff. This. This is the picture of the church. This is the picture of biblical Christianity. Go, stay, and love. Some of you are like, okay, John, I'm, I'm all in. I want to do that. So how? How do I do that? Hopeelam.org. Let me show you how to do it. All right? Super simple. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom. And here's how you do that. This is the homepage of our website. That big red circle is not going to be there. I'm just showing it for you for now. And this is really fun to pretend that this is a touch screen. So, Charlie, you ready? Let's pretend. You just click on serve. That was close. Good job. All right. 
takes you to our serve page, okay? There's different ways that you can get connected. Dozens of ministries here at Hope Elam already. We have over 40 local mission partners at all of our campuses. You can serve on a mission trip. And then we have four faith-based nonprofits right here in our building, okay? So we have Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Genesis Youth Foundation, Joshua Christian Academy, and Dorothy's House that works with women coming out of sex trafficking, yes, in Des Moines, Iowa. It's a thing, and you should learn more about it. It's been eye-opening for me. And they are all out in the lobby waiting to talk to you right now. Very easy to jump on board. Even easier than that, does, does anybody have any T-shirts that are in your basement or your attic at home that aren't getting used? We use them as bags, because we give away so many groceries and they're so heavy from the Food Bank of Iowa, a grocery bag can't do it. And so we have people that cut and sew and they can show you how to take your old t-shirts and make bags to give away thousands of pounds of food to this neighborhood every single month. How cool is that, right? So what you can do is over the next few weeks, our entire mission of the month for October is bring in your used t-shirts, put them over there in the lobby, and we'll sew them and cut them up to make bags. It's just that easy. We also have a missions e-news that goes out, and sometimes people call us, like DMPS will call us, a homeowner will call us, single mom will call, whoever it is will call us and say, I need help, and it's two days from now or three days from now. Well, we can't make a slide and put it on the website, so we have this distribution list, and we say, help, does anybody want to help? We're going to shovel somebody's driveway today. We're going to fix somebody's porch today, whatever it is, and we go out and we do that. If you want to be added to that list, scan that QR code that's in the lobby today, and we would love to get you connected on that. Just say, sign me up for the missions e-news. These opportunities come up all the time, and so it can feel kind of overwhelming. Sometimes I preach these sermons, and people come up to me afterwards, and they're like, thank you. I don't know what to do. There's, there's so much. Oftentimes, it's right in front of you. You start where your feet are, right under your nose. Mother Teresa, that you are well aware of, ministered in Calcutta, India, which at the time was the poorest, most impoverished city in the world. And one time she was back to the States, and this nun from the States came running up to her and said, Sister Teresa, Sister Teresa, I want to join you. I, I want to make an impact. I want to do something great for the kingdom, and so I want to come and join you, because if I know that if I go back with you to Calcutta, then I will truly be of service to God. And the little nun looked up at her and said, No. No. First, find your Calcutta. Find your Calcutta. The people, the places, and the circumstances of pain and fear and grief and hatred and brokenness that are right around you, in your schools and in your neighborhoods and in your own homes and in your workplaces, start with where you are. Find your Calcutta, <laughs> your classroom in a way. And the reason I say that is because I want to end with a short video about a gal named Lindsay that is a public school teacher in the Bronx, in New York, in one of the poorest school districts. And what I want you to watch is how she takes Jesus' command seriously to go, to stay somewhere and to love her heart out. Let's take a look. I don't know about you, but maybe when you first came to Hope Elam, you kind of came in with certain preferences or expectations of what you thought a church should be like. 
Maybe you came in with some of your own preferences or opinions. And maybe it's today, or maybe it's still to come, but you're going to realize that God wants to change you. And he wants to change me. And he says to you today, just like he said to Lindsay, I love you already. You're my kids, God says, in my classroom. And there's nothing that you have to do to earn my love. And not only am I going to spend the rest of the year, I'm going to spend the rest of your life trying to convince you to let my love, God says, all the way in. Because you can't give away what you don't have. So receive that love today and know that you belong here. You belong a part of this church family. And because you do, it's time to get on the trampoline. It's time to stand on the foundation of God's word and be launched into mission for the kingdom. That's what it means to be a part of Hope Elam. That's where we're headed. And God is inviting you along. Find your Calcutta, your classroom that God has given you. And I want to end where we started with these awesome kids up here on this risers. I get a little extra emotional watching that video because some people think, oh, geez, it's New York City. It's a big city. You know, lots of, lots of crime, lots of, lots of violence, lots of hurting kids. It's Des Moines, Iowa. We just haven't made the video yet. It's happening all around us. You want to do something great for God? Walk down the hall and volunteer for children's ministry. Amen? Love those kids. Walk up to the fourth floor and see the amazing things that are happening with kids that never would have had a chance to have an awesome faith-based private education. Go and serve, go and love, go and volunteer for children's ministry. They've grown so much, they moved to the second floor. And I will tell you this, unequivocally, we are not doing the church a favor when we volunteer for children's ministry. You're not doing the church a favor. The kids are doing us a favor by letting us hang out with them so that God can fill our hearts with his joy. It's a get-to, not a got-to. And wouldn't it be awesome if Candace, who sometimes has one volunteer a week for 27 kids, wouldn't it be awesome if next week she got a whole bunch of volunteers in her email inbox? Why? Are you an expert in kids' ministry? No. Do you like kids? Not particularly, but I love Jesus. So here I am. So sign me up because I follow Jesus, the servant leader of all servant leaders, and if there's a need, I'm going to fill it. That's what it means to be a part of the church. Sign me up for that. <laughs> what is your Calcutta? What is your classroom? It could be under your own roof with your own kids. It could be right down the hall or it could be in the lobby today with a dozen of our local mission partners. Don't miss it, Hope Elam. How do we be a church for the city? One child, one person at a time. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.